Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Hey guys, my name's Kale. Like James said, I'm a missionary to Hungary. Been there two years now with my family. Um, we actually just came back for the first time since we left uh, a couple months ago to have our second child. So we uh, just gave birth to our second son, Isaac, at the end of October. And uh, mom and baby are doing well. They're healthy now. Kind of rough ride. They're a little roughier with health stuff, but we're doing well. And so we're looking to head back uh, in a couple weeks. So January 20th, we bought tickets and we're looking to head back. We're excited for that. Um, I, I want to talk to you today. Well, James asked me if we could talk specifically about preparing the family. Like we always talk about how do I prepare for missions? But then when you're actually to the point where you're moving, a lot of times, you know, you're, you're married, you have kids maybe. Um, some, some of you might go as a single, but like if you have a family. So we're going to talk a lot about that. And then we're also just going to talk about experiences. So we, our first two years on the field, what to expect, what to just some lessons I can give you. So, I mean, it's really, this is going to be very practical. This is not a sermon. This is like, I just started jotting down things over a couple weeks of like, oh, that would be good to talk about. This would be good to mention. So very informal. Please stop me if you have a question. Um, I'll leave time at the end for questions, but really let's just, if you think of something on the spot, just, you know, raise your hand, I guess. I don't know. We'll just do that kind of thing and just, uh, just stop us and, and we can talk about it as we go. Cause there's things on here that like, we, we don't have to get to. We can talk about things if, if it's more relevant to the people in this room here. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk about preparing yourself and your family for heading to the field. Talk about some experiences from the first two years. Um, we're going to be super honest in here. So like, I'm actually, I, I went and thanked Mike for what he did in that last session because that was a great setup to not only the subject, but what I wanted to talk to you. And I actually feel more at liberty to talk to you about what I wanted to talk to you about because I, I was a little like, I've been to Midtown. I've been coming here for Mission Focus for like 10 years, since I was like 20, and I'm not anymore. So like I, like I know you guys, and I do feel like at home here. But it was one of those things, like it's still not my church, and I don't, I don't want to psych anyone out. But, but Mike did it, and he's one of y'all. So it's, you know he's not, he's not complaining. He's not carnal. He's just being real. So, so that was a great um, uh, intro to this. So I'm just going to be honest and, un, well, slightly filtered. But this room, this class isn't a sales pitch to get you in. You know what I mean? We're not being like, hey, man, you really should think about missions. I'm assuming that if you're in here, you either have done it or are interested or you're like, on the path to becoming this. And so this isn't the recruiter's office telling you, hey man, you're gonna get GI Bill. You're gonna be able to go to college. You're gonna do all, this is like, okay, now now we're in uh, what, what's boot camp, And it's like, oh, this is real. Yeah, this, this is real. This is actually what it is. And I, and I think that's important for those of us who are gonna go if you don't wanna quit. <laughs> because if you go with expectations that are, I don't even wanna say unrealistic, but just you don't know what's going to happen and you have zero clue and it's the opposite of what you expected, you'll probably quit. And I, and I don't mean that because like, you know, as a missionary, it's like, I think I'm awesome. Or, or it's like, man, yeah, us missionaries, we're a special club of guys. It's like, no, you just, you just need to know what you're signing up for. That's all. And I, and I think that's important um, because I think that our churches, you know, the, who is the guy in here who asked the question at the end that nobody answered on the panel? I thought that was a great question, but you're like, oh man, I failed. 
but no, it, seriously, it, it was a great example of what our fellowship does so well. We prepare our people well. And, you know, going all the way back to, you know, KCBT days up until now, it's like we figured it out. We figured out the, the model and what people need to know, doctrine, all of these things. What's left is having expectations of what you're actually going to see when you get there. Because you can know all the things and know all the Bible. And then when you get there, and what Mike was saying, and you get smacked in the face and you just weren't expecting that, you're going to rely on your training to bounce back from it. But if you weren't expecting getting punched in the face, who is Mike Tyson or somebody said, everyone's tough until they get punched in the face. It's, I, I loved what Mike said. It's like, you, you probably should take a few punches in the face before you go. Um, don't go looking for it. But like, you know, our, our church, when I was on staff as a pastor, went through a rebellion and church split and people on staff trying to take the big seat. And it was like, holy crap. I was like, I don't know, 24. And you're like, I didn't sign up for this, man. And, uh, but that was huge you know, training, watching how other people responded, learning how to be a shepherd to the church during tough times. And so all of that kind of stuff helps you. So anyway, let's, let's just start with preparing the, the family. I, I just, I've got a lot of friends who are missionaries. I was just going to text and see who would text back. Like, hey, what's your like one-line answer to this? So I just want to give you a few that I thought were cool. Um, actually, these are all the guys who responded. I didn't leave anybody out because I didn't think they were cool. But uh, so Eric Brown, missionary to Ireland, my buddy, you guys probably know him. I know you guys, a lot of you guys support him. Um, and uh, so I'm literally, I don't know if they expected this. I'm just going to read you what they texted back and then give you my synopsis. Okay. So, uh, so Eric said, when I asked him, Hey, what, what's your advice for preparing your family to go to the field? And what did you guys do? And he said, you know, we talked, it sounds trivial, but anytime I noticed something was off with my wife, um, I made her and at times had to force her to tell me what was wrong. That normally took us to scripture to help prepare and adjust, uh, adjust for leaving our family, leaving church family, being in a different country, not knowing anyone, whatever the problem was. I would just say I didn't ignore stuff that maybe I used to. When she was tired, quote unquote, we talked about what was really wrong. Don't ignore or gloss over any issues. I think that, that was really good. So basically my synopsis of what Eric said don't get sucked into the details, especially guys, when you're, when you're the dad. And I noticed this too. You don't have time to process emotions when you're the guy because you got to make it happen. We went to the field in December of 2020 because there was a window. We were planning to go in the summer and then COVID happened. And it was like, we're waiting for a window. And so I didn't have time to process emotions. And, and I had to, as best as I could, be aware of how my family was doing. And so I really didn't process my own emotions till we were in Hungary off the plane because I didn't even know when we landed if they would let us in the country, if they shine the magic laser at your head and say you have a fever. And it's like, what are you going to do? Turn me back around? So like as a guy, there's so many things that you are dealing with and you have to make sure that you don't get sucked into the details too much, that you're not aware of, you know, maybe your wife is doing something or showing signs of something that normally you just ignore because it's whatever. It's normal life. But then in this case scenario, it's like, oh, maybe I better make sure she's good. Um, because she doesn't want to tell you if she's not good because she knows how important this is because she's a good partner and she, you know what I mean? So we gotta be as husbands aware of that. And since ladies are in here, it'll be really helpful if you just tell us what you're thinking. Um, all the time, not just for missions. So that, that's just a free one. Uh, my man, Sean Vance, uh, before I knew he was teaching, he's like, I'm teaching to that too, but I'll give you something. So uh, Sean, do you mind me reading the text? Is that okay, since you're here? Okay. <laughs> Sean said, I would say including the children in the process. We just had a great Q and A about that. That was awesome. He said, our kids were 9 and 11 when we left. They didn't understand all that was going on, of course, but we made sure that they understood we, as a family, were being obedient to what the Lord was asking of us. 
And once they understood that, they were willing to submit to the things we asked of them. And really that started with them seeing us living out our faith. It wasn't just the parents' relationship with the Lord and us being obedient. It was all of us. And so including the children in the process, if, of course, if they're old enough, you know, it's like we, we had a two-and-a-half-year-old. I didn't ask his opinion. Uh, it didn't matter, uh, honestly, even if he didn't want to go. I said, well, we're going. But, you know, if you have older kids, it's like that's uh, really important. And Sean summed that up really nicely that we we are doing this as a family. And even with my, my little kid, you know, so Judah is four and a half now and including him in the process. Like, so he started going to preschool and he's learning the language naturally, like as a kind of as a national, but, you know, he didn't learn it from a baby. And so like, you know, Brooke always telling him like, hey man, you're my little translator. You help me out. And so he like, he's a part, man. And he knows like, man, we're, we talk about, he's four, but we talk about how we're learning this language as a family so that we can share Jesus with our friends. You know, and we and we pray every night when we pray before bed. We just pray, God, keep helping us learn this language. Keep helping us learn this language. And so you're just finding whatever way to. I I think my answer to that, including your children, is that if you don't actively not include your children, you'll be fine. You know, it's almost like if you just because you almost have to actively not include your children, like you know, actively uh, keep them. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in like a protective way. Where parents are like, no, 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 this is, this is my ministry and my burden, and we're going to keep them at home. If you don't actively do that, I, I think it just happens naturally, honestly. I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not, I haven't had kids that long, but it seems to be so far. Uh, this next guy, his name is Mark Patton. He's actually a friend of mine that I met in Hungary, a veteran missionary. He's been there 30 years. Really good guy. He's helped me tremendously. Um, he's been a huge blessing to my family. And uh, I, I liked this answer. It's so practical. It's not spiritual at all. This is just practical good stuff. He says, uh, here's my thought. Help your family focus on the positives rather than what they're leaving behind. This was really good. So for example, he said, we would take our kids on vacation in Europe and visit cool places, Croatia, Paris, Switzerland, whatever, you know, instead of going to like South Carolina or wherever, you know, Branson, wherever you guys go on vacation here, like, hey, we get to go to Croatia and most people don't get to do that. Like, that's really, really neat. That's a blessing because we have sacrificed a lot. God gives us this cool little blessing that most people don't get. And that's neat. You can talk about how most kids and teens in America never get to see places like that. And he said, or it doesn't even have to be big things. It can be little things like living in Budapest and getting to ride the subways and trams or taking a train to Lake Balaton or whatever. It just seems that some families focus on what they're leaving behind instead of the great opportunities that they have in a foreign country. And yeah, that's really good. And I can attest to that too, because like, so I'm from New Philadelphia, a small little city, right? If we want to go see anything, sports team, a show, you're driving a couple hours to go see it. It's, it's a whole like weekend thing, right? Where we live in Budapest, there's like a, like a, um, a, a stadium kind of thing, like within walking distance of our house. And like the Hot Wheels monster truck show came to that. And like Facebook told me, because they spy on us, and, and I was like, well, thank you, Facebook. I wouldn't have known. And, and my son's like three at the time, and his personality is monster trucks. Like, you know, like when you're a little boy and you're three or four, it's like it's either going to be like space or dinosaurs or monster. There's like five options. He's monster trucks, dabbles in dinosaurs. Um, and, and we got to go to that. And that's like not a thing that we would normally get to do. And that has nothing to do with the mission. But we walked over to the monster truck show and took – one of our friends who's lost to hang out, my, my, my friend Titus, me and, and Judah and myself, and just went and hung out at the monster truck show. 
And it's like, that's, so, so that's one of the cool things that you can kind of focus on with your kids and family. And then this last one here, um, before we start getting into some other things, it's from my friend Will Lyon, who is a, a missionary in Ecuador. Um, good friend of mine. He's an awesome missionary. And he's like, he's not ministering in the city. He's the opposite of what we're doing. He's out in the villages of Ecuador learning, like, a, like he knows Spanish and he's learning a Quechua is the language that's like, you know, tribal hard language. And so he says, what comes to mind immediately is regarding the husband's understanding that the wife and children are going to likely struggle much, much more than him. Um, and he should be willing to bend over backwards to make the transition as smooth as possible. That can mean buying extra suitcases to bring things that are more important to the family. Now, speaking as a husband and a, and a man trying to move his entire family across the ocean, I'm packing light. I'm practical. We don't need that. <laughs> we don't have to get rid of it. Leave it at mom and dad's house, whatever. Put it in the storage, you know, bin. Um, but like, listen, man, we've thought about this our entire life and, and, you know, wife and kids, they're, they're partners, but they're kind of along for the ride. So like, Hey, if, if paying a hundred dollars for an extra suitcase to bring some knickknacks or some toys, because for me, I'm like, man, we can buy toys there. Like Budapest, it's not Africa. And even Africa has stores. Like, like we, there's stores. We can buy toys. But, you know, having that toy or that stuffed animal or, you know, your wife's this candle or whatever, um, just do it. Just do it. You know, it's, well, it, I say candle because Will said candle. For Laura, that included candles and chocolate. So be willing to help the family completely make the transition before beginning ministry on the field. Make all the necessary contingency plans. Have the necessary insurances in place. Be willing to do some things differently than what other missionaries, pastors, and friends might have done or recommended in order to meet the specific needs of your unique family and context and field. And I'll talk a little bit more about <clears throat> that in, in a minute because I, I think that's really important that there no two fields, no two families, no two times or contexts are exactly the same. And so you, you do have to be willing to... Um, figure some things out. So um, man, well, coming from covering, no, coming from coming from our fellowship, I wouldn't say anything. Um, but you know, when you, when you're getting into this thing, you're reading books by anybody, you know? And so, I mean, I'll say this, the historic Baptist way, independent fundamental Baptist way of planting churches in foreign countries tends to be, not everyone does this, but once you go to the field, you see, tends to be moved to the field, maybe work on the language for a year or so, maybe partner with a veteran missionary, something. But then after that year or so, go pick your city, find a building, rent it, buy it, slap up a sign, get a Facebook page, start having services now, because you got to have stuff to write home about. And they get up and they're spending their whole week preparing that message to preach to their kids, the translator, and maybe one person who ran, wanders in off the street. They don't have a church. They have a building, you know? And so like just looking at that historic model that, listen, sometimes works. I'm not even saying like, don't do it. It's just the more organic way that we as a fellowship tend to agree is like, listen, focus on the people because that the church is people. We're building people. And when you need a building, praise the Lord, you need a building. But I got a living room. And every, every culture is different. I've met guys who are like, listen, man, I, we can't do it in our living room because the locals think it's a cult and they won't come. I get it. There comes a time and a place where a building is necessary, but it's like, I, I got a living room and I've got friends and I've made these friends, not because they, they're excited for the church that we're starting, but because they're just our friends. And so we're like, Hey, we're having Bible study in our living room on Sunday. They didn't grow up in church. They're like, okay, I, I guess I'm there just cause I like you, <laughs> you know? So it's, it wasn't really advice. It was more of like looking at the historic Baptist trend and being like, 
you know, that the cookie cutter thing maybe isn't as organic. And you know what? Another thing that we do as young people is sometimes we dismiss everything that guys have ever done because it doesn't work now. And that's not fair because there might have been a time where that worked really well in certain contexts, you know. But but like where where we're at in in, in I'm always going to say that everything's different. Every field is different because I'm speaking mostly to Central Europe. You know what I mean? This isn't going to look exactly the same as going to Africa or going to Latin America or something like that. So, you know, yeah, take everything you hear as advice from anyone with a grain of salt. Look for the principle behind it. And then the details are going to really be up to you to figure out when you're there. So, okay, before I get into some of my, my thoughts for preparing the family, I do just want to say this is going to sound ridiculous. Um, I don't mean it to be, but I have a podcast. <laughs> Sorry. But no, the reason I have a podcast called Missionary Roundtable. And the reason I made it is for this crowd of like, I'm going to interview guys who have been doing this for a long time. And hopefully this can actually be a resource to help people who are preparing. And so if you go find it on YouTube or on your, your podcast player, there are interviews with guys like Jeff and Will Lyon and Mickey Kofer who's usually everybody's favorite episode because it gets out of hand really quick. And, uh, and Paul Clark and other guys who have been doing it for years, just me asking that and picking their brains while we were recording it so that everyone can listen and benefit from it. So I, I really only pitch that to you guys so that like you can go listen to these guys. There's like three seasons of it and, and benefit. And like, depending on your context and what you want to do, there's, there's something for everybody. So, um, and, and like, I even did a whole episode on deputation, like, like little things that we don't really talk about at missions conferences is like how fun and awesome deputation is <laughs> super, not sarcastic about that. Like you got to know how though, and you got to have some tips and advice. And the guys who wrote the books that I read, they did deputation in the seventies. And so it's a little different now there's your know, social media and, Jeff, how many, how many, you're laughing already, how many manila folders, like, with your, your packet did you mail out? Oh <laughs> and it's like, I just sent an email with a PDF attached. Like, it's just different times. So you just, you know, it, just information from someone who's done it recently. And you know what? In a couple of years when you're ready to go, my info will be updated. That's just how we're moving. So you're just looking for info anywhere you can. All right, uh, here's some, and honestly, guys, these are rapid fire random things, you know, so stop me if you got other questions. But so my first thought really for you as an individual and a family, you can and should prepare as much as you can. And, and living faith fellowship churches have a great, every church is a little different, but it's generally the same of like being faithful at your church, do, being discipled, and then doing some form of training that your church offers get on the path and you will be prepared. We have figured it out. Like we really have, the, the system doesn't need to be, we don't have to reinvent the wheel too many times. We've figured it out in our fellowship and you should do that, but no amount of prep will make landing easy. You can, you can have, you can have a, a pastor who was a missionary for 15 years in a foreign field be your personal mentor and it's still gonna be hard when you get there. So if you're just aware of that and if you can wrap your mind around that this is going to be the hardest thing you will ever do, and I, and I mean that with absolutely zero um, hyperbole. If you can wrap your mind around that, it'll make the difficulties more bearable and understandable. Not necessarily easier, but bearable. Because you're like, okay, I know this is going to be... You're not going into it thinking like, oh, yeah, man, I know how to preach. I'm a pretty good preacher. I know how to evangelize. I, know how, I, I led Bible studies. I got this. If You're going to get knocked out. <laughs> like it's, but if you're aware that like, okay, this is going to be hard, but we're just trusting the Lord, then you're halfway there and that'll be okay. Um, be prepared on the, so uh, piggybacking on that, be prepared on the front end so that you can wing it properly once you get there. 
<laughs> and I mean that as honestly as I can, because here's, here's the thing. Everybody knows, well, when you get there, you got to prioritize language, right? So we got to go to language school. Where's language school? I, I, I didn't join a veteran missionary. Like, so you just have to start Googling things. Luckily, we have Google in our day and age. Like, I don't know how Jeff figured out how to learn. Well, he, he married a lady and she taught him the language. There was no language school. There was no school. There was probably school. There was no school. So, <laughs> listen. <laughs> so part of your preparation is knowing that language has to be a priority, but then winging it is like, okay, I got to figure out where I'm going to go. Should I take individual lessons, one-on-one? -on -one? Should I take group lessons? Should my whole family take lessons? Should the lady down the hall who says she's a language teacher come over to our house once a week? Like, you, you have to, how often should I take lessons? That's all stuff that I can't answer for you, and you have to figure out on your own, but you have to, you have, to have the preparation beforehand to know that I have to prioritize language, then to, when you get there, figure it out, like, okay, this, I think this is going to work for us, and that might evolve, and that's okay, and that might change. Um, so for us, like, I took a, a group, like, language course that was called, like, a super intensive deal for, like, three hours a day, four days a week for, like, I don't know, four or five months. My wife couldn't handle that. We had a two-year-old, you know what I mean? So she, she found a, 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 a lady who just did Zoom calls with her twice a week. You know, it was, it, it, it's okay. Like, for me, I need to learn the language faster than she does. You know what I mean? And that's okay to say. Like, it's okay if you, as the man, learn the language a little faster because you got stuff to do, and she's learning it a little bit slower. And guess what? If you go before, you can kind of help her and be like, oh, yeah, I remember when I learned that. If you think about it this way, that really helped me. You know what I mean? So it's... You just, you have to wing it. Evangelism techniques, Bible study. How often do I have Bible studies? When do I start a Bible study? That's all stuff you're going to have to just be aware of and pray about and figure out on the, on the fly. Now, you know how to do Bible studies. You know how to do evangelism. But, like, you're preparing so that you can wing it properly when you get there. Um, this one sounds a little like a downer, but, like, Mike already said it, so I feel like it's okay to say. Prepare to be lonely. Like, and I don't mean it as a downer. Really, I don't. I, I just mean to, like, prepare to, to feel. It sounds bad, and I don't mean it to be, but you will be lonely to some degree. Even if you are joining an established work or you're uh, with veteran missionaries or you're going with a team. We didn't go with a team. My family just went. Um, you will be lonely to some degree because you're probably a part of a really good church that fellowships and places an emphasis on fellowship and meeting together with regularity, and then you will be in a new place where that won't be, at the very least, exactly the same. And so it's going to be different. And so if you're just aware, this is going to be tough. If you've never been lonely before, it'll be a little harder. Um, if you've been lonely before, you'll be like, oh, I remember this. But really, it's, it's not awful as long as you're just aware. That, that's the whole point of like really my my thing today is just being aware of the realities that you're going to face, and that'll help you tremendously. I mean, you'll be lonely together with Jesus, and that as the husband, that's what you're telling your family regularly. I mean, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, when he ends with, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. I'm telling you, when you're in the field with just your family, and you're, and you're watching your, your home church on Facebook or YouTube just for, some, for something to cling to, that verse It'll give you tears in your eyes because you're like, okay, I'm alone, but Jesus is here, and that's okay, even unto the end of the world. Um, okay, so this, is a, so this is talking about the husband-wife dynamic, and this is, honestly, this is my opinion. This is not doctrine, so take it for what it's worth. I, I already know that there's been missionaries of antiquities who, who have 
they've dragged their wife to the field kicking and screaming and you know so like one of them's called the father of modern missions so it is what it is but today in 2023 going on i i think you and your wife should be on the same page <laughs> so if if you're married and and you're thinking about the field or preparing for the field this is this is specifically for you um of course men you are to lead your family and you have to obey god in doing what he is calling you and your family to do but I think it's important if you're one flesh and you're married and you have a wife, and if she's a hard no on this missions thing, then, then you aren't ready. Like, that, that, and that's just my opinion. Somebody could make a good argument for, you know, why the wife just has to submit. I, I get it. But, but listen, this is just practical stuff. You're a team, right? And you don't think that God is powerful enough to change your wife's mind if he is in fact calling you to the mission field. That, that's what I'm getting at here is like, if you're, you're sure about this missions thing, well then man, you, you just better trust God to either change your wife's mind or soften her heart or, or bring her, whatever it is. Um, you don't just have to aggressively say, hey man, you just gotta submit and, and do all the things that wives are do because I'm doing what God told me to do. You're a team. Um, if she's not on the same page, don't pressure her. Pray for her. Talk about it. Talk about it. I'm not saying ignore it and just, okay, we're not going to talk about that anymore. Pray about it. Pray for her. Talk to her. You're a team. Schisms don't help families, and they certainly don't help a ministry team, right? I mean, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? Um, yes, she might be a godly woman and just submit and follow you, but you might notice things, like we talked about earlier, that Eric mentioned, that like, man, something's a little off than normal. I'm, I'm to dwell with my wife in knowledge. I'm to know her, and something's off. And talk about those things. Make sure that you're both on the same page. If you don't have, so here, here's an example. If you don't have kids and you have issues in your marriage, how many, how many times have you seen this where people are like, well, we thought if we had kids, it would like fix this. That is the dumbest. You know, like, my goodness, you know, there's no dumb questions. That is terrible. That was the dumbest thing you could think. Having kids don't help. It, it'll put a magnifying glass on what's already wrong and then magnify all of that, and it's going to be worse. And so similarly, if you're having issues in your marriage, and, and listen, I mean, I mean big ones, not little normal ones. We all fight. We all, like, I'm talking about big issues in your marriage, underlying things that you're not addressing, and you just... Or, or this missions topic brings about issues. Moving to a foreign country away from everyone isn't going to help the marriage. It's going to be a magnifying glass and magnify everything that's wrong. So be a team, be patient, get on the same page, have your, have your local pastors at your church help you to do that. And uh, listen, every, everyone has liberty and everyone you know, has the Holy Spirit. And, and you talk to the Lord and you commune with him and he convicts and he cha- like You have the liberty to figure that out. But if you're just asking me, in my opinion, you should probably be on the same page. I, when I married my wife, we were, I proposed to her when I was 20. We got married at 21. We dated, you know, a senior year in high school. And I told her when I, when I was getting serious and like, I think I can marry this girl. I always wanted to be a pastor. I know not everybody does that. Some guys get married. They're an engineer for a long time. And then they become a pastor and their wife's like, I didn't sign up to be a pastor's wife. But I just knew ever since I was a teenager, I wanted to be a pastor someday. So I, I told her like, Hey, I'm not going to be the guy who has a nine to five job and comes home and like, it's, this is what I want with my life. So if you're not cool with that, we, this is your out, <laughs> you know, and, and it wasn't an ultimatum. It was like a sincere, like, this is what I, this is what I want to do with my life. And so for me, luckily and graciously, I, she's been on the same page ever since, but there's still degrees where you have to make sure like, Hey, we still good. Like, I, I feel like that's a good check in every once in a while. Like we still good. Like, like, I, you know, we're always kind of taking the next step and, you know, 10 years of baby steps, you're pretty far from where you started. So 
man, guys, just check in. Check in with your wife. Make sure you're on the same page with the Lord. Um, here's, here's another one uh, for families and for personal stuff. Visit other churches. Deputation at a minimum. I'm not really going to talk about deputation today. If you want to talk to me about, like, if you're at the point where you're getting ready to, to like, go start that, um, that's the time to investigate it. You don't, if you're not even close, if you're still in LFBI, you don't, you don't need to worry about how to do deputation now. But, like, I would, I'd love to give you tips. Again, we did podcasts. And that's the kind of stuff that you don't want to talk about at a missions conference because you're trying to get people excited for the mission. But it's stuff you need to know. Um, so you're going to do deputation. You're going to visit churches at a minimum. But it's good. So for me in New Philly, I hadn't visited another church being in a small town till I was a young adult. You know what I mean? And so if you're not used to, like in Kansas City, like maybe you guys visit like, you know, Harvest and Midtown and some other churches, and that's a good thing. But if you're only familiar with your church and maybe your church is established and big and been around for a while, or not even big, but established and has a children's ministry and has all these things going for it, you just, you need to see how other churches do stuff. And you need to see small churches who don't have all those things worked out. Because then when you get to the field and your church plant is you and six people in your living room and there's no children's ministry, you're like, oh, I don't even know what to do. Because in my church, we walked in the door, dropped off the kids and then went to the service. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's way different. And so at least having some experience seeing other churches and how they operate, going and visit. We have people planting churches in our fellowship. Go visit them. See how they're doing. Um, and just see it, like not even asking them for advice, just go watch and see what they're doing. Um, when we first moved to the field, we, uh, we didn't go join a veteran missionary. Our initial plans kind of got completely jacked up because of COVID. So we just went and we're trusting the Lord and praying and couldn't go to church for the first six months because of the lockdowns in the country. You weren't even allowed to be open as a church. And so we just watched our home church on YouTube, which was a blessing. Um, but then I knew, like, so we went in December of 2020. I knew that when the spring started to roll around, spring and summer, things would start opening up. And I didn't know, God, should, should we go find a church to join um, and to be with, or should I be patient? Because I, I'm a nerd. I like reading about the, uh, the historical um, missionaries. Adoniram Judson is one of my favorites to read about. Those guys, when those guys went to the field in, the, in their century, there was no church to go to. <laughs> You were, you were there alone until the church was there. And so I was completely um, content with that being a possibility that, like, we're just not going to go to church until the Lord gets one started with us. But I also, at the same time, if this makes sense, I didn't want that to be a fleshly thing or an ego thing of, like, no, we aren't going to church till we get this thing started. So it was really just like, Lord, what do you want us to do? And so I gave that to him for a couple months in prayer. And then this, this guy, Mark Patton, literally just came across, like, the stories. I don't have time for it, but I wasn't looking. I wasn't Googling churches. And this guy's name came across. He'd been there 30 years, planted churches in the countryside, had just recently moved to Budapest, or like right before the pandemic, and had started a small church plant. Really good guy, believes a, a lot of the same stuff we do. We're not, you know, super, uh, we're not exactly the same, or we wouldn't be there, because there'd be people who believe what we believe already there. Um, but he's a great guy, super helpful. And, and so we went and started attending his church, with the understanding that he was going to really just be a place for us to fellowship and <clears throat> get some language immersion, get some friends, be able to listen to some worship music, even if we couldn't understand it at first. And, uh, and that was really good. And God confirmed that we should do that. But like all of those things, like I don't want to just do because I think that's best. I want God to clearly reveal to me that that's what we should do. And it was, you know, it's, I recently had a meeting with him earlier this year, actually. They're like, hey, man, 
ministry is actually starting to pick up finally. It's been a year. We're starting to get some opportunities. So I'm not, we're not going to be there every Sunday. We made it a point to be there every Sunday. Like this is going to be our church until God opens the doors. And so it was like just an honesty thing with him. Like, hey, we're going to start slowly fading as we're fading away as we're doing more ministry. And so that was just kind of how it, it went with us. But like because we were just had the blessing of getting to be at a Hungarian church plant, who does some things, by the way, that are different than how we'll do them. But I got to see what a church plant might look like in Hungary. So that was a cool blessing that I couldn't have possibly thought of, that God just like, hey, man, I'm not going to go put you as a part of an established church that's been around for 100 years. Like, here's a church that's been around for a year, and they meet in a coffee shop. It's a set-up, tear-down church, you know. So that, that was a really cool blessing that God gave us. But the idea was I got to see how they operate. They had no no kids ministry at all. We were all met in the same room. And then like my wife was kind of a, got to help start the kids ministry when we had enough like little kids running around and they all went to the, the other room. And so it was, it was a huge blessing. But if, if you don't have any experience with other churches and how other people might do things differently than your church, go see that. That's a good thing. Deputation at a minimum will help, but if you have opportunities, take them. Um, sweet. All right. So that's mostly family stuff. Now I want to hit, and this can go as long or as short as we need to, but just some, some of my thoughts and experiences from the first couple of years on the field that I just thought might be helpful to you. Um, if I'm going back to Will's statement where he's talked about being willing to do things differently because you got to do what's best for your family and your field. Um, you don't have to fit in a, a specific box. Like there are big guidelines you have to follow, of course. And, and, and like the way that our fellowship believes biblically that we should plant churches and not parachurch ministry, all of these things, these are big guidelines that we should stick to. Um, but the specifics are different. It kind of goes back to the winging it, right? Like no family is the same. No field is the same. No time is the same. Like I, I am reluctantly part of a, a, a special club of missionaries who moved to Central Europe two weeks before Christmas during a global pandemic with a two-year-old. It's very specific. There's no Facebook group to join for that. To, <laughs> hey, how'd you guys do this? Like, it's just, it was special. And God knew that that's what we were going to get to do. And so you have to just kind of figure things out for your family and your field, you know? And so, like, um, do I have this in another spot? I'll, I'll mention it here. If, I don't know if I had this in another spot, but like, so initially our plan was I'm going to, I'd been to Hungary eight or nine times. This wasn't our first time going to Hungary. I was going to go before we moved, find a neighborhood and a place to live, get it, buy a few furnitures, and then come back, get my family and move. That was the initial plan. And then COVID ruined all that. And we just had to do what we had to do. And so I'm looking at Hungarian real estate websites and I'm looking at places and, and I, specifically, and, and Jeff was a huge part of this, I'm looking for places that are probably more expensive than I want to pay for because I'm moving my family across the world. We've never lived outside of New Philadelphia during a pandemic close to Christmas, and we don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic after this. We can't get there and arrive with my wife and kid and show up to our apartment, and it's in a nasty area. Like, it needs to be a nice place even if it's just for a year or two, like maybe we can only afford it for a year or two, but it's just like, because, and I'm not saying that that's a rule for everybody, but at that time for our family, I had to rent an apartment kind of sight unseen based on photos on the internet. It's just got to be kind of nice so that my family, because we're going to be in that place for a while and not get to leave very much. So it needs to be decent. 
And so that was a, a very, and, and, you know, turns out, coincidentally, God was in that and led us to a really cool neighborhood and we loved you to school and like God's in all of those plans, but you, you have to prepare enough that when your plans change and they will constantly when you're a missionary and when you're preparing to go to the field, that you can just kind of roll with the punches. You know, flexibility is the, one of the biggest abilities when you're a missionary, right? Um, here's another random thing. And this really came from Jeff and some other mentors that I had. And coming from experience, I, I really, really agree with it. If you can, and I know personal friends who couldn't. So like, this isn't a hard, fast rule. But if you can, spend about two years on the field before you come back. That was our goal from the get-go. And we came up just shy by a couple months because having the baby, it just worked out. But if you, here's what happens if you can spend about two years on the field before you come back for the first time, is that it gives you enough time for that place to become home, like actual home. Like if you're, you're not going to go to the field when you're 20, but say you did. If you went to the field when you're 20 and spent two years, that's 10% of your life. That's a large chunk of your life. You know, if you go in your 28, 29, 30, like that, that's like a decent chunk of your life. And if you spend two years there, what it does is it gives you enough time for the homesickness to wear off. You still miss people and you miss friends and you miss church, but you don't miss things. You've gotten used, you've figured out where the markets are. You've figured out banking. You've figured out a lot of things so that when you go home for the first time, you're not like, oh man, I really wish we were here. I really, man, you know what I mean? It's like when we came back, when we were planning to come back and bought the tickets and we're packing, it was actually kind of an inconvenience. And it, because we were going to like leave our home for four months, we had to pack clothes and toys for four months and plan to somehow bring back another child with us. To say, and it was kind of like, man, it would actually be easier not to do this. That's a good sign. It's, it's not, it doesn't mean you don't do it, but it's a good sign because you're like, oh, this is home now. You know, and like, oh man, we got to email the school and make sure he's in preschool, so it doesn't really matter. But we got to make sure that they're cool with him just not being there for four months and, and all of that kind of thing. And so if you can spend more than at least a year, but listen, I know, like my friend, I'll say it because I don't think he would mind me saying it, Eric Brown couldn't. He, he had visa issues and they, uh, he would have loved to stay there longer, just couldn't. So like there are circumstances where it can't happen. But if you're just giving yourself a goal, Two years is a good goal, I, I, and I can say it from experience that because when you come back to the U.S., it's actually hard to come back, and it's great. You love seeing everybody, but then after a month or two, you're like, it's been real. Sick of living in my parents' basement. Oh, we'd love to get back home. My, my kid's missing his friends, those kind of things, and that's a good sign because if you come back too early, it's, you didn't miss a beat. It's like you, didn't, you, know, you were just gone on vacation or Whatever. I'm sure Sean can talk about that too when, when he shares on his day about just being gone for a large chunk of time. Um, here's one from personal experience that I didn't really, I knew, but I didn't really expect practically. Regardless of where you land and how and with what teams or no teams or whatever, prepare to spend that first year just being incredibly humbled, not doing a lot of ministry or at least things that you wouldn't consider ministry. <laughs> Things you're not used to being ministry and just learning how to sit at Jesus' feet and depend on him. Man, I'm telling you, that first year, guys, banging my head against the wall, learning Hungarian grammar, which is, I don't say this like to like, as a, as a thing to make myself look good. I, I didn't know this when I signed up. It's one of the top five hardest languages in the world. Like, if I would have known that. But you're just beating your head against the wall in those, in those first six months. We couldn't really leave our house much because of the pandemic. And all I'm doing is devoting all my time to this and read my Bible and praying. And it's like, it's refreshing and also not fun at the same time. Cause it's like, you're like, 
it, let, let me give you the honest, unfiltered feeling. This is where I was at. I've got little old ladies using their 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 income. What, what do you call that when it doesn't? The the you know, what the government gives them. You know, the fixed income. They've got their fixed income, and they're giving their two mites to support you to plant churches. And I can't leave my house because I'm studying Hungarian grammar. And you're like, we gots to go. We got stuff to do, God. And it's like, it's just, it's literally the Mary Martha thing. And if you're going to be a missionary, you're probably more of a Martha. You're a doer. Let's go, let's go win the world for Christ. And you get there and God's like, sit down, shut up, and just read my word and trust me and study this language that you don't want to, you don't want to do, you want to, you want to speak the language, but you don't want to do this. Shut up and do it and spend time at my feet. And that was incredibly humbling and, and definitely what I needed. But I guess, you know, more vague and more general is just prepare for that first year to be maybe not exactly what you expect it to look like. You're going to be doing a lot of things that, that are ministry. By the way, I, you know, guys like Jeff and Paul Clark are my mentors, and I would call and talk to them and being like, man, I just feel like I need to go, you know, I don't know, should I, you know, preach on Facebook and maybe Hungarians will find it. whatever. You're just dreaming. You're, you're vision, you know, you're, you're a visionary. You're like, what can I do? And it's like, Paul Clark told me, he's like, dude, you're learning, you, you, this is your ministry. At this season, this is ministry. You wouldn't think it that way, but if you don't do this, you can't do everything else. And so that first year is just going to look a little differently maybe than you planned. And again, if you're joining an established work or you're doing an internship like Sean will talk about, it'll all look differently, but I guarantee you that it will be different than what you expected it to be. Because you're like, I did my training. I got ordained. Here we go. Let's go take the world. And then God just puts you in your place. And it's like, yeah, I still don't need you. And I'm still going to humble you. And it's just like a lifelong process. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it was a little over a year, and I actually did. I actually did work on the language um, some. And no. Yeah, so in, in, in retrospect, no. because So what I decided to do, and it was a little bit of a help. I'll tell you exactly how it went. I spent a year learning vocabulary, bought some resources, and I was like, I'm just going to focus on vocabulary. Let's learn a couple hundred words um, because it's not like Spanish. We don't... It, Hungarian shares like zero roots. So it's like you're learning you're learning 99% new vocabulary, not 60%, you know. And so let's learn a couple hundred words and learn how, learn how to pronounce the alphabet. It's phonetic language. So I learned some of those very important things. So I thought I was doing pretty good. I was, I was actually like, yeah, man, I'm doing more than most guys do. I don't want to work on grammar because I don't want to learn that wrong, whatever. I get there, I take my first uh, super intensive three-hour class with eight other people in a Zoom call. And I was like, I know this stuff. I'm like top of the class. Uh, my knowledge was worn out in like two days. I think the third three-hour class, like everything I learned this year, it's just gone now. Like we're into new material. Oh my gosh. So so yeah, I, I, I did what, I think that's a good rule of thumb while you're doing deputation if you've got time. Do the Duolingo. Why not? It's free. Uh, learn some vocabulary. There's some other good apps I can recommend. But really, unless you already speak the language or took some Spanish in high school or something like that, it's 99% of it comes when you get there. Yeah. Especially if you're learning a weird language and not one of like the big ones, you know, but uh, let's see. What do we else? Oh, here's, here's a good one. Um, I stole this saving this saying from the Navy SEALs embrace the suck. Um, thank you to Mike for setting that one up. Some things are just going to suck. It's okay. Like not everything in life has to be enjoyable. Like when you're, when you're first, like get your first job in ministry or something, it's like super fun. And you're like, this is the dream. I'm buying Nerf guns and setting up pizza parties for like a living youth pastor. 
It's like, that's, that's a season. That's a short season, man. <laughs> like, like, real ministry, there's some things that, that just aren't fun, and that's okay. Just embrace them as challenges for building your faith and your trust and your dependency on Christ. And uh, you're doing that knowing that there's peaks and valleys in, in every Christian life, but especially in missions, the, 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 the mountaintops are really high and the lows are really low. It's like, it, it's just exaggerated a bit more, I think, than, than here. And so like you're going through some of those exaggerated valleys, but then when you see someone get saved or, some, or, or you have a, a window to share the gospel and like, dude, that's a, a euphoria that I can't even explain because you put in all the work and, and went through all the suck to get to that point. And then it's like, that's awesome. So it's absolutely worth it, but just learn to embrace it, you know. I already kind of mentioned this language has to be a priority. I, I think our fellowship does a good job of saying that. Like, um, un- unless you're like going later in life, which I have a lot of friends who did go later in life, unless you're going later in life and you're going to like an African country who does speak English as like one of the primary languages, like it's everything's a little different. But if you're going to Latin America, Hungary, whatever, a country that has a, a a majority national language that you don't speak, you, you got to learn it. And, and, and it's, you know, I didn't have, I didn't know what to expect as an American, I'm a monolinguist who has no idea what it is to learn another language. You just assume missionaries tell you, yeah, you got to spend a year or two, depending on the difficulty of your language in language school. And then you start ministry. So you're like, oh, so after a year or two, I'll speak the language. No, <laughs> you'll, I'm intermediate and probably, you know, beginner intermediate. I don't know. It's, it's a really tough language, but after two years of study, I can get around. I can have basic conversations. I can read my Bible and understand a decent chunk of it. Like I, this year, my goal was I'm going to read just the New Testament, one chapter a day in English, the same chapter in Hungarian. It took all year to do that. And I can already see just the progress from January to now. It's pretty cool. Um, now, of course, I'm reading their old version, which is like our old version, which is not how they talk in real life. So it's, it, but you gotta you gotta become acquainted with the scriptures in their language, you know. So you, you gotta learn the language and you gotta see this is what's hard for a missionary. If people who dabble online with learning languages, and you're gonna get on YouTube and you're gonna find a savant and you're you're gonna do all these things, because I did all these things, and you're gonna find these polyglots who learn a hundred languages. Listen, they don't learn the language. They learn to get around. I can get around. That took me a year and a half of, of intensive hard work. But your goal, especially as the man is to not only learn this language, but to learn the language well enough to teach people, and not just teach people, but to teach people the Bible. And that's a goal that most people who learn another language, that's not their goal. Their, their goal is when I travel to this country to be able to get around. You, you can do that pretty quickly, but it's a way loftier goal to do what we're doing. And, and really it's like, you're gonna spend a year or two in language school, and then it's probably gonna be, depending on the severity of like your difficulty of your language, it's gonna be four or five years, probably before you're like just speaking without trying too hard. And so we've been doing it two years. And so I'm just being realistic about it. I'm like, okay, maybe at year five, um, this will be a, a lot easier, you know, so for what that's worth. Um, pray for God to give you an initial and then afterward, maybe an annual vision once you arrive, um, something that's doable. Because when, when you get there, you're going to have this huge burden on your shoulders that you need to save the world. Little old ladies are giving their offerings for you to get to work and to save people and, and not to save people, to share the gospel and see people saved. Um, and, and you're going you're gonna to be overwhelmed. You're going to be like, oh my gosh. This, and, and if you're joining a veteran missionary, he's going to help you to calm down because he's kind of got the thing going and you're just there to help and learn. But if you're going to start something that, you know, on your own, it's going to be overwhelming. And so you just have to take one bite at a time, right? 
you, you're often going to feel inadequate or like you're failing, like Mike was talking about. But what I did initially, because I felt inadequate immediately off the get-go, is just praying that God would give you a vision that's tangible and practical and a, like a daily thing that I can accomplish. And then when I go to bed at night, I can ask myself, did I do this? And if I can answer yes, then I can go to sleep and I don't have to worry. And my anxiety doesn't have to be like, am I letting those little old ladies down? It's like, no, this was the vision God gave me. And I, and I did this today for me. And I talk about this in other places, but really it was twofold. It was language learning. That, that's half. And that's gotta be one of them is language learning. Did, did you put some time in today messing with the language? If that's a yes, good check one. And number two it was for me, it was seek seeking men. And so that, that was just something God gave me out of the book of Acts but rather than net fishing in a language I didn't understand and going door to door in a culture that doesn't want to talk to you if they don't know you, it was just praying that God would send me men who are already seeking truth and send me to meet those men. And it, it, that was something God gave me personally in my quiet time on the field when I was begging him to give me vision. And so that's huge for me. Maybe that can help you, but you're going to have to find that. And so if God gives you something tangible, and so I, every day I prayed for seeking men and I, and I looked, you know, go to the same barber, all the things, you know, go to the same barber every month, whatever go to the same grocery store. If, you're doing, if I was doing that and I was actively, actively doing something every day to learn the language and progress in the language, then I could go to bed at night knowing that I'm doing what God asked me to do. Even when the feelings of inadequacy and an imposter syndrome setting, because they will, you're going to feel like an imposter because there's missionaries who have been there 10 or 15 years and have churches. There's going to be missionaries who have been in their country that you see on Facebook as long or shorter than you who already have a building. How's that going to make you feel? <laughs> And now it's, it's going to be really hard to not be carnal and be like, yeah, but they don't have a church. They just have a building. Like, okay, but, but still, are you okay with this is what God told me to do and I'm doing it? And regardless of the timeline, I'm doing what God asked me to do. Now, listen, sometimes if, if you have a lot of supporting churches who don't know you personally, there might be some pressure from the states to speed things up. Luckily, because of our awesome fellowship, I, and I know a lot of the pastors personally as friends, who support us. I, I haven't felt like a lot of that pressure, praise God. But depending on where your support comes from, you might have to decide, am I going to lean into the pressure of speeding things up or am I going to trust God and be like, no, I'm the man of God on the field. I had hands laid on me. I'm walking with the Lord. And this is what God has revealed to me to do, even if you lose support over it. Those are re realities of being on the field. Um, I'm going to rapid fire a couple of these things so we've got time for Q&A. But again, stop me if you have real questions. Um, Real, like you would have unreal questions. Um, this is something that I learned like totally like on the fly in experience. You got to teach people the gospel first, not legalism. And what I mean by that, because we're like, oh, we're at Midtown. We aren't legalists. Look, I'm wearing jeans. And like, okay, I, I get it. But, but listen, you're going to befriend sinners because you want to preach the gospel to them, right? But these young people will be living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, heavy drinkers, whatever. And I'm not saying to change your biblical values and, you know, I'm not, you know, we're not doing some weird, you know, twisting Paul's context to where like, well, I got to be all things to all men. And, you know, like I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that like, don't expect lost foreigners to act like saved Americans. And, and I learned that on the fly because you're like, man, I just hang out with these guys and they live together and I, they don't know it's wrong. Well, it's practical for them. It's a poor country. They don't have money. This is practical. This isn't like a rich American thing where they're like, ah, screw marriage. It's not that. It's incredibly practical. And you're like, ah, what do I do? Your job is to teach them the gospel. And then once they get saved, teach them to live like the Bible says. And they'll get it. The Holy Spirit will convict them. Um, yeah, just something I've seen. 
Uh, So in piggyback to that, model the Christian life for people. Uh, Mickey Kofer told me um, in in one of the podcast episodes that he did with me, he said, I try to do a Mickey Kofer uh, impression. Brother, when you get to the field, but he's like, when you get there, man, you're going to feel overwhelmed. And I asked him, I was like, bro, I'm feeling overwhelmed, not even there yet. Where do you start? What's the first step? And he tells the story, if you guys have heard it, um, that God told him he needed to go dig a toilet because he went to Mongolia and they needed an outhouse and he started digging and the locals started joining in and then they would feed him lunch and then they would pray for their lunch. And then after a while, one of the guys told him through an interpreter, hey, that guy wants you to know that yesterday he prayed for his lunch because you pray for your lunch. And that just struck me because what Mickey said was like, listen, man, when you go to the field, you're going to feel overwhelmed. Just be a Christian live intentionally as a Christian and bring people into your fold. You're going to have to, if you have a bubble, you know, like me, you're from Ohio, you got to, you got to break the bubble and you got to let people in and then let them see you living as a Christian and they'll get it. They really will. And I can tell you, I'll I'll be short here, but two of our friends, Vicky and Titus, who are like our closest friends and they're not saved yet, but they're counting the costs. And um, I'm so excited for them. Uh, They, they watched me put Judah down for bed every, like Brookwood, She's the mom. She's awesome. She would put him down for bed, and then I would go in and pray with him at the end. And, like, I started from, like, two years old praying with my son every night and, like, sharing the gospel with him when we pray, thanking Jesus for the gospel, all these things. And they see that. Like, man, I, we don't pray with our kids before bed. They see us disciplining our kid. They see us praying. They join us in praying for all of these things they see. And then, um, man, at, at the beginning of this year when we got pregnant, we had some issues with this pregnancy where we, it was like a miscarriage, but we, we ended up, we had twins and didn't know it and lost one of them. And it was just, it was rough. It was a hard time. And, and this girl, this 20 year old girl who doesn't know the Lord, who isn't saved says, is texting Brooke constantly being like, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the baby. She doesn't know how to pray. (laughs) She's just watched us, you know? And so like, she's not even saved yet, but like, I'm not pushing her because God's working in her heart. It's obvious that God's working in her heart. Why are you praying at all? If, if Jesus wasn't, you know, moving, so just yeah, model the Christian life. That's important. Um, be patient when you get there. The first couple of years, they're foundation laying years. That's important. If you've ever got to see or help, like I got to be a, a small part of uh, building a youth building at our church in New Philly. And um, the plans for, you know, excavating the ground and the architectural drawings and then testing the dirt and flattening it and then digging and then pouring concrete for the footers. That all takes forever and it's not fun and it's not something to write home to your mom about, but it's like probably the most important part of the work. Um, it's got to be done or else the house is going to fall down that you're building. And so those first couple of years when you're doing foundational work and you're like, this isn't fun. This isn't like my newsletter doesn't sound fun. Like all these things, are, but, I, but you have to, you have to do it. You can't... And the other cool thing is if you've ever watched a building get built, once the foundation is laid, the, the building flies up pretty fast after that. But you got to get that foundation right. So be patient. I, I honestly, I think patience and diligence are, are some of the most important keys for, for a missionary to have in their life. Let me rattle a couple things off for you from a, a book that I read recently about missions. William Carey, the father of modern missions, the guy who dragged his wife to the field, um, seven years before his first convert in India. Seven years before his first convert, guys. Now, listen, these guys are different. They had to write the dictionaries and figure out how to translate the language. Like, I, I get it. I'm not comparing our times to their times. But notice the trend here. Robert Morrison, seven years before his first convert in China, and only personally saw nine more converts in the following 20 years. 
Adoniram Judson, the first American Baptist missionary ever sent, seven years before his first convert in Burma, modern-day Myanmar. Seven, seven seems to be a, I don't know, interesting. Uh, now the, the trend breaks. Robert Moffat, nine years before his first convert in Africa. Samuel Marsden, 20 years before his first convert in New Zealand. Can you imagine just trusting the Lord and, and battling people who want to drop you for support because you're doing what God told you to do, but it took 20 years to get there. These are guys who set the foundation for us to go now. Samuel Zwemer was a missionary to Muslim people. Personally, was only able to lead 12 total Muslims to Christ in 40 years of ministry. Now, we, of course, all of us were like, those guys aren't failures. They're fathers of the faith. Okay, but yeah, what if that was you, though? And not only are you trying to maintain funding and all of these things, but you're also trying to keep your sanity and not feel like a complete loser and a failure. You just, you got to be patient and diligent and trusting the Lord and work and make sure you're walking with him. Right. Um, and I, I really, this is kind of the last thing I want to end with. It, listen, if you want to be a missionary, you can't be lazy. You just can't. I'm not saying you have to burn the candle at both ends, but you can't be one of those guys who needs someone to push them out of bed to get going in the morning. You can't eat. You must have initiative. You have to be a self-starter. And you can learn to do that, by the way. It's not like, oh, well, I don't, so I guess I can't be a missionary. You can learn. So, like, do people have to tell you to do something, or do you just see a problem and you take care of it? So when I was, uh, when I was like, 22 or something, I was a, a, a maintenance man and an intern at our church, and I, and I, I like fixing stuff. I just, I'm a hands-on kind of guy. And I've grown up at FBC my entire life. So I love the church. I love the building. And getting to just be at the building all day was like a dream. I didn't care what they were paying me. It was awesome. I mean, cleaning toilets wasn't fun, but whatever, we're here. And uh, I would see something's broke, and I would just fix it. There were other young guys who would work, and they would just uh, begrudgingly vacuum the carpets. And I would be like, hey, man, did you notice that like cobweb that's over the thing? Can you take care of that? Like, yeah, all right, yeah. It's like... See a problem and just fix it. Just do it. If you aren't going to do it, who's going to do it? That translates into being a missionary because if you ain't going to do it, nobody's going to do it. You're the guy. You're the girl on the field, right? So that being said, I think the most three important tangible qualities for a missionary, not like the spiritual things, are are patience, diligence, and initiative. And you can work on all three of those things. I I always tell people this just because laziness just irks me. Um, Being a hard worker is not a spiritual gift you can work on being a hard worker. <laughs> you can become a hard worker. You don't have to be bestowed that by the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, he's a hard worker. I guess I'm just not. No, become one. <laughs> so yeah, if, if you're not patient and diligent and you don't have initiative, fix that, um, especially before you go to the field. But if you're trying to become a missionary and you're on the training path, I have a feeling that the pastors in our churches probably won't even give you a second look to send you out if you don't display those things. So I know I'm talking to a lot of guys in here who are already doing ministry, but if you're in here and you're one of those young ones thinking about it, those are the kale notes on, yeah, that's good, I think. Um, Questions, anybody? Yes, sir. In light of uh, the conversation of it taking years for converts and the seasons where you're you you see all these other missionaries who from the outside look more successful sure um what has what has fruit looked like for you in your specific field not yeah. not just like converts but like right in those seasons of mm. you know you're not seeing anybody converting yeah. there's still fruit what's what is well, that so i'll be honest with you since we moved there no we've made many trips to hungary doing summer camps and stuff and some of the people we're ministering to are people that we led to Christ years ago. 
but we've not actually knowingly, I know that's not true because we did some summer camps, but in our personal ministry, since we moved there, we haven't personally led one of these friends to Christ yet in these first two years. Now we, we did a summer camp where we had some kids get saved, you know what I mean? But, but like in the, in the, the stuff I'm working on day to day, you're right. We haven't seen that person come to Christ yet. So the wins are, what are my vision? Seeking, seek, seeking men and language learning. And so those wins, some of those wins for me is uh, long story short, I, my family is half Hungarian. And so I can apply for citizenship based on lineage. And it's taken, it's been a two year process, but I'm like really close. And you have to be able to speak the language at an intermediate level, but their language is crazy. And they, they have like actual, like formal grammar when you're talking to someone of authority that you have to speak with. And it's like, it's, it's a completely different way of talking. It's not just using adult words, like in English, where like, okay, don't say dude, don't say bro, you know, use, the, use the big words you learn in school. And so a, a, uh, a, a victory for me was passing that exam and like getting an email while I was in America saying, hey, they didn't like guarantee me that I'm in, but it's like, we need you to schedule a meeting at the government building when you get back. That's huge. I've been working on that for two years. That means, and, and another one, that, that means that my language is getting there. We're getting somewhere, you know? Like if I listen to TV or read my Bible, I'm not getting it all, but like we're, I know a heck of a lot more than I did two years ago, you know? So it's like, what are the, the track? I think Jeff told me this, because after those first couple months, I'm calling and just complaining to him about how hard it is. And because I can, because, you know, me and Jeff are complainers. We're friends. I'm a complainer. I don't know if Jeff is. Um, <laughs> and he's like, listen, man, especially with language learning, you got to take it one day at a time. You know, and you, you can't compare yourself to like, you know, everybody else around you or even language learning, like where I want to be. You just have to look at where you were yesterday. Like, wow, a little bit further, a little bit further. Oh, look, even better than I was a month ago. And so it really is those incremental goals. And, um, you know, when we first went there, we didn't really have anybody to hang out with. We knew some people, but the pandemic made it weird. People weren't trying to hang out. And now we have six or seven or eight <coughs> close friends we hang out with on a regular basis. All, a wide range of people. One guy is saved and I'm discipling him. One guy is not saved. I play disc golf with him and I think he sells pot. But like, <laughs> it's, a, it's like a wide range of guys. There's seven or eight of those. And it's like, this is more than I can handle. Really, you know, like, it's like keeping up with all these people, praying for them, sharing the gospel with them, discipling the ones who get saved, and then getting ready when we go back to start regular weekly or at least bi-weekly Bible studies, which we haven't done yet. That's all super exciting. And it just, it took two years to get. Yeah. So it's really, don't compare yourself amongst yourselves, because that's not wise. Compare yourself with what God's laid out for you to do, and uh, it's, a, it's a good leader stick. So if you're in a position where, you know, you don't really know where you're going to end up, but you're just learning a language for the sake of learning a language, yeah. what are some good tools you can do to kind of just be in a passive state of learning a language? Yeah, well, so I, yeah, I definitely recommend that because part, so part of me, even though I haven't learned this language fully because I've learned how to learn a language and I know how hard this one is, part of me wants to go learn an easier one and see if I like, I do better. <laughs> like, hey, maybe I should go learn Spanish now and like feel better about myself. Like, oh, this was. Spanish speakers. But uh, when you're learning a language that's an agglutinative language and words can become infinitely long because you have to tag things on the end, you're just like, uh, your mind has to be a computer constantly decoding what they're saying. But um, yeah, man, I, well, seriously, I think just in the culture that we live in, like I, I've told guys at our church 
if you want to do that, start learning Spanish because you can use it. In our little city, we have a huge Latino population. Mm -hmm. So like it's not only practical, but Spanish is related to English in enough ways that there's some roots that like will make sense. And then if you go to a language where it doesn't make sense, it's okay because you're not blindsided. Because mm -hmm. yeah, Spanish, of course, has things that we don't have in English. It's not just English with a, a cool accent. That would be way easier. <laughs> but, but there are some things, you know, like masculine and feminine that we don't have. And, and, and luckily, Hungarian doesn't have that. But, but so you, you learn the things that are similar, you learn the things that aren't similar, and then at least you are learning how to learn language. And then when you go learn another one. Now, I didn't do that, but I can see how that's super, super useful. Yeah, so like in that, what, what are some practical tools like Duolingo, maybe getting it? So Duolingo is a great start when you're here, but I found really quickly that I hated Duolingo. Um, and maybe the Spanish one is way better, the Hungarian one kind of stinks. And it's like, they don't explain things to you, they just show it to you, and it's, it's very grammar structured. And for me, Hungarian is very grammar oriented. Like, you can't move to the country and just pick it up after a couple of years. Like, I met a guy in my Hungarian class who had been in Hungary for a year. He was from, what was he from? France, maybe? And uh, he picked up English on accident in Budapest because he was working with people. Yeah, it was casual, not very good English, but he could speak and understand. And he'd been there for a year, and he was in the A1 beginner class of Hungarian, couldn't speak a lick of Hungarian. So it's like there are some languages that if you're just there long enough, you'll pick up some. Hungarian's not one. So it's like I... Duolingo doesn't explain enough to me. I need a teacher to explain the grammar. And now I use Duolingo as a review. I'm like, oh, okay, I get this. And it's actually a good exercise tool. But for my language, it wasn't great for the learning. And so I really, um, I really think focusing on vocabulary and how to pronounce. Americans are notoriously bad for not being able to pronounce anything, even remotely close. Learn how to roll your R's. Most of the world does it. You know, things like that. Like my, my language has like 43 letters in the alphabet. But they're all phonetic and they only ever say that same thing. And so you can learn to read really quick. Like I can read the Bible out loud and almost fool people into thinking that I can speak that well. But I can't. <laughs> but it's very helpful because then you can start reading signs and stuff like that. So I would say focus on the alphabet and learning how to pronounce it, especially if it's a phonetic language um, and, and vocabulary, because it's a great foundation. And then you're going to learn grammar and how to put things together when you get there. Um, but I, I think those are a good start. I don't know, James, do, do you have any differing opinion on that? Because you learned a few languages at this point. Uh, yeah, I think you can get around local people. You mentioned Spanish is good because you have people to practice with. The internet will give you all kinds of tools. You can get a podcast. You can, you can pass it. And, and nowadays, since the pandemic, so this is like two things are changing every couple of years. I haven't taken a single language class in person. It's all been on Zoom. And then when the school opened back up, I was like, hey, it's way more convenient for me to not go into the university and to do this at home on my computer. So it's like those same schools and individual teachers who are teaching on Zoom can teach you in America. And they'll be happy to do it because you're American, you have money. So it's like, you just gotta figure out the, the time difference. So it's, there's more possibilities now than there was even three years ago. Yeah. Akhil's right, the art of language learning translates to many different languages. So if you're just, yeah, you don't know where you're going, you're sitting here learning Spanish, there's, I think there's value in that. My two favorite free apps, Duolingo, of course, is out there, and there's one called Drops, that is strictly like vocabulary flashcard based, which is good. There's uh, SMS flashcards. Um, there's a book called Fluent Forever that's worth reading. They, he's not a Christian, he's not, he's, I 
actually has some older language in there. But he talks about the science of how our brain remembers things and how new synapses form based on memories. And it's a really good book worth reading if you're just in the business of trying to figure out how to learn language. And he talks about how SMS, SM, no, Mara? But what, what's the flashcard system where it's like specifically designed to be a, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, yeah, it's got S's and M's in there. And like, basically, the idea is you learn a new word associated with a picture, and then after 30 minutes, oh crap, what was that? You look at it, and you're as you're trying to pull it, your brain is like forming synapses to remember it. And even if you don't remember it, you look at the word, you're like, oh, that's what it was. And then now instead of every 30 minutes, you're doing that every hour or every day or once a week. And then it's the idea is you're working on the short-term memory first and then pushing it to the long-term memory. Uh, but Fluent Forever, I forget the guy's name. He's kind of a weird dude. He did a TED Talk once. Some interesting stuff. It's worth reading. <laughs> yes, sir. Some weird questions that I'm going to try to formulate. Um, so, uh, so you're a young guy. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so you are um, too, man. <laughs> so for for some of us that are a little bit old, don't have like necessary all the resources uh, in my country, uh, huge structure. So uh, what advice would you give to a to an older dude that might think uh, time is running out? Uh, that's gonna be a great question for Jeff and Sean <laughs> tomorrow and, and the next day. Um, this is specifically, I didn't hear the first part too well. Specifically in reference to what? Because you said you're from a different um, country. I see that over here. There's a lot of tools. Like oh, yeah, yeah, the resources. Tools mm -hmm. and a lot of, uh, you know, fellowship uh, uh, as a whole has a lot of tools yeah. and people around you. And, uh, I would steal those. Steal them. <laughs> you speak, you speak, yeah, steal them and translate them and use them. <laughs> and, and, and working through that. But sometimes it might feel like he's getting a little bit late. What advice would you give? Late for you in regards to what specifically? Just training and or or in the church planning process. Yeah, like uh, you see those uh, big guys like they get to to be in the field in their forties and their thirty fives. So you're not older in that age anymore. So yeah, like maybe you just need to train. Yeah, but I I don't know why though, because I mean lots of guys have went to the field in their fifties. I think maybe it's just like. Jeff has a really cool thing. I don't even know if you're planning on talking about this, but the different stages of ministry in our life and how your 20s, generally speaking, are for training and being equipped. And then that's all for what God had. And this is all, you know, the best case scenario. If you actually do what God wants you to do in life, you get saved young. Your 30s to 50s are kind of your main chunk of ministry, whatever God called you to do. And then after your 50s tends to be training and reproducing other men to go do what God's called them to do. So I think it really just depends, like, what stage of life you're in. And ministry and, and wherever you're at too so it's like because you know jeff's a missionary at heart and i'm sure he'd love to go back to the field but he's told me if i had to go back to the field i have to take a young guy with me because i don't have the energy i, I just don't because you gotta have a lot of energy to just go and get it so i, I think it just depends on your stage of life and, and specifically the context of where you're at too it's like because if you're just if you're a pastor at heart you've been trained and you know how to preach and you know how to do all those things it's like so you can round up guys and you can teach them and you can train them, but maybe you just need a guy who's going to be the relentless, go find lost people. And you need an evangel you need a young evangelist with you to like, you know, Paul and Timothy, you know, I don't know if that helps. Not. I, I would ask Jeff and Sean, I'd be better at that. Let me just say this, Gail. So let me just say, I don't know how old you are, but 35. So you're young. Oh, I'm 32, bro. So, <laughs> so what I mean is that although I grew up in a church, 
I got saved like way later. Gotcha. So, right. So the Bible says that we can redeem the time. Okay. And so if you prayerfully trust the Lord to redeem the time, make up for lost time. Don't ever allow yourself to fall prey to the mindset. I'm too old. It's too late. I can't make up. No, don't allow yourself to do that. Let your mind be renewed by the scriptures. And if you, if you were, okay, so I've lived several decades. So if I can look at my life in decades, okay, it's amazing what can be accomplished in a decade, in a 10 year time. Okay. So, so just go for it. Just if you're 40, if you're 50, just do what you can and go for it because you don't know how long you have. You don't know what God will do. You don't know how much you can learn. So just jump in and do it and, and, and let God take care of the time. Let God take care. And if, you know, we, and specifically talking about languages and stuff, there's, there are some real scientific studies about younger people learn languages more quickly. Older people have a harder time picking up. Okay, that's true. But do what you can and just forge ahead. And so I, I would, I think sometimes we just fall prey to public opinion. Let the Lord renew your mind and just, and just go for it. And just go for it. I mean, look, we're running out of time anyway. Just go for it, you know. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Probably the last one. Yeah. <laughs> you yes, kept looking on that side of the room. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you were talking about like when you guys first arrived yeah, yeah. and how you were praying for seeking like people who were going to be seeking you and you said you just would go to the grocery store. So can you give a little more story or context of like, so, you yeah. know, you just walk up to the grocery store and you're like, hey, you want to be my friend? Like how did yeah, people yeah. react to that? Like, would you Yeah, don't, well, house? in Hungary, don't do that. Yeah, so what did you do? Like what did you actually do? Like, what did your wife do? <laughs> um, yeah, so like, I'll give you two quick ones. Um, so when we first got there, we got there in December, two weeks to Christmas, had a 10-day police, you know, uh, quarantine. They rang our door, couldn't do anything. Yeah. Got out, a couple days till Christmas, like, you can't do anything. It's like, we're basically just here until January. And so I started emailing some uh, teachers I found on Google. And I was like, let's just find an individual teacher for you and for me. And maybe it can be the same lady. So I found a lady. Uh, she's like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, we're... Here's the thing, we're Americans, we have money, we want to learn the language. She's that's guaranteed cash for a couple of years, you know. So she's all about it. In January, I email her and she goes to me for like a couple of days. And I'm like, hey, remember how we said we were gonna do this? Are you still into this? And she's like, uh, have you checked anywhere else? No. And she's like, I just I've got a lot of, you know, students, I just don't know if I can take on the workload. And I was like, this is weird. But in my head, I'm like, oh, God's providence. Okay, maybe maybe that's not who we're supposed to be with because we're just trying, you know. And so, okay, so we find up end up finding another lady who was a Christian lady, actually, weirdly enough. Like, she went to a church plant. She doesn't live in Budapest anymore, but she does Zoom with Brooke once a week. They love each other. It's perfect. I ended up finding, with a little more Googling, this school that did these group intensives. And it's like, I wanted to learn faster anyway. So it's like, this is actually not only better, but in that first eight or ten week course, there was eight or nine people in there. You don't have a lot of time to get to know each other because it's just you're zooming fast. And but there would be occasional times where she put us in these breakout rooms. I don't know if you zoom like this ever, but they can put you in little, you know, one on one rooms. And I was with this guy occasionally named Pedro, who is from uh, Portugal, spoke English incredibly well. And uh, he was learning Hungarian because he was stuck in Hungary because of COVID with his girlfriend who's Hungarian. He's like, ah, why not take this? 
thing. And uh, and so we started. We, we we all we knew about each other is what we did and why were we here. That's all. It was quick introductions. At the end of the class, he emails me and says, "Hey, I'm." not going to continue with the class. I'm going to be moving on going back to sports school, whatever. I would love to stay in contact with you though. PS at the bottom. I know you're a pastor. Maybe you could teach me the Bible sometime. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's insane. So I'm like, you know, trying to not freak out. It's like, you know, when the girl shows a little bit of interest in you and you're trying not to like smother her to death and you're just like, okay, I'm going to text him. I'm going to be like, Cool, bro. And then I was like, maybe we can get together sometime. And he's like, well, I'm actually going back in like a month. Can I come over this weekend? I'm like, yeah, that'd be cool. Like, he's come over to my house. And, uh, and, and I mean, the guy comes and he's going back to Portugal. I don't know if I'm ever going to see this guy again. And we start learning. The dude started watching the Jordan Peterson Genesis series and just was interested in the Bible. And he's asking me questions and I'm, I'm trying to do the thing where I'm not going to give you the whole spiel. I'm going to set up for more meetings. And the dude, he's smart, he's super smart. He's like, I know you got more to say. Just lay it out for me, man. I'm here. We got like a couple hours. Just tell me. I Genesis, you know, I creation to Christ did him in like two hours. Laid it all out and he didn't, he didn't get saved. He didn't get saved. I haven't seen the dude since. Texted him a couple times and then he kind of faded away. But the dude got the whole gospel. He was he was in a foreign country and God made sure the man of God, I had to be in that class. I had to be in that class, not with that other lady. And that guy got the whole gospel. I gave him a KJV Bible because he thought mine was cool and I gave it to him. And when I finished my spiel, he's like, man, I got to think about these things. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Hopefully Pedro's in heaven someday because God put the man of God in his, it led him, or actually in that case, led the man of God to him. You know, it was more of a... Uh, eight thing where God takes Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch and then the other way is with Acts 10 with the with Cornelius where God tells Cornelius to go to this guy and we've had both happen and so that one was really neat with one quick one for my wife is that she flowers are big and hungry there's a flower shop on every street corner and there's like a holiday every week and there's usually something to do with flowers so we would always go to this same lady and this lady didn't speak very much English but we would practice Hungarian with her and one day she just asked my wife like hey you live around here? Yeah, maybe. And this Hungarians don't do this, but because you're an American, sometimes that gives you opportunities. They wouldn't talk to other Hungarians this way. Maybe I could like come over and hang out, and we could have coffee, and like you could like teach me some English, and I could help you with your Hungarian. Now it hasn't happened yet, but it's like that's another open door, just because we're praying and we're not over analyzing every move we make. You're just like praying and and being aware. I think that's the big thing, praying and being aware and doing things intentionally. And then, like, what about, like, what do you tell people, because we're going to go to a communist country. So, like, what do you tell people, like, like, why are you, like, I've made some mom friends already in Vietnam, and, like, they're like, cool, let's have a play date. I'm like, cool, like, I'm not there yet, but I'll be there. Yeah. And then they're going to say, well, why are you here? So, what it's, I, I, there's, there's a couple options, because I, so we're in a post-communist country, but it's a very religious country, so it's easy to talk about God. Most people just don't want to. But you're not going to get persecuted for it. They're just going to look at you like oh, another old right-wing religious fanatic. It's a weird dynamic. But uh, what I've heard other missionaries say is you can kind of, if you need to be incognito, people ask you, be like, well, I'm a teacher, or my husband's a teacher. He teaches. And then, you know, once you know him well enough and ask what you teach, oh, he actually teaches about the Bible. For me, I never felt like I needed to do that. Because I almost, in my scenario, people were looking at you like, okay, you're a teacher. 
why would you leave America and come here? I get that question all the time. Why would you come here? You're in America. What are you doing? So I would sometimes use my Hungarian ancestry just as like, oh, I thought it would be cool. But really, I just started saying, I was like, you know what? I'm a pastor and I, I teach people the Bible. Now, I can do that. You guys won't be able to do that. But for me, in my scenario, it was like prepare so that I can wing it. And I've had no issues. People are like, oh, that's cool, man. I, I wouldn't look at you and assume that you are a pastor. That's neat. And then it kind of like dearms them a little bit. And, and that, and so you, you got to figure out what works in yours. But the typical answer that I've heard is like, you can just tell people, well, you know, I'm a teacher. My husband's a teacher. And then once you know them well enough, it's like, oh, you know, I teach the Bible. You know, now in a communist country, atheist country, they're going to they're not going to see that coming. In a Christian country, they're like, oh, you got me. I'm a teacher. I teach the Bible. You know, but like it, de- it depends where you're <laughs> yeah. where you're at, you know. So, but I think that's probably a good option in a persecuted country. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.